Amen. All right. Hey, welcome everybody. Everybody on the patio at On the Edge. I hope you guys are doing great. Hope you guys are enjoying the incredible atmosphere there, even if outside it feels like we are on the planet Mars. Pretty strange outside right now. Uh, wherever you guys are joining us from, uh, whether you're on the patio um, or you're still at home or anywhere else driving your car, thank you so much for joining us. We are grateful that you are here. Um, just a few announcements coming up. Don't forget the end of this month, we are going to be having the Gong Show. It is the Quarantine ca- Talent Show, AKA, um, over at Bicentennial Park. We're gonna be doing pizza uh, for families. And so we'll be social distancing on the grass and then have people sign, uh, people should be still signing up uh, to be able to have a spot out um, at, at the Gong Show and giving, just presenting some crazy talent or some goofy thing. So I have something very special for everybody in store. You definitely want to be there. Also, coming up this Tuesday, um, I'm looking for some people that can help me and some others. Uh, We are going to be joining our sister churches up in Prather um, at the Assemblies of God Church in Prather, and we are going to be uh, uh, joining with Convoy of Hope. Uh, They are sending a couple trailers worth of some much-needed supplies, and so we're looking for people that will help us unload the trailers and get them staged to be able to give all that good stuff away to help people that have been been affected by these uh, these wildfires. So that's noon at Prather. We'll have more information on the website and as well as on our Facebook uh, page. So stay tuned for that about the address and all that good stuff. Let's go ahead and pray and asking the Holy Spirit to make our hearts ready for his words today. Lord, um, specifically, I pray today that the hopeless would find hope. Lord, it's easy when we look outside today to see our skies and to just feel that sense of dread come over us, that this is life. It's easy to feel like, like to find a despair in the permanence of this and to feel like this is never going to end. <clears throat> but Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would take those feelings of hopelessness and I pray that, that they would be washed away, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with great hope, great peace, And even in the midst of this, finding ways to find great joy in you in the midst of these struggles that we are facing as a community and as a nation and even as a world right now. Lord, we pray something specific right now. We pray in Jesus' name for rain. We need rain so bad. We need rain to clear the air. We need rain to be able to put these fires out and get them under control. We need rain to quench this dry and thirsty land. Holy Spirit, send rain. Send rain in our own spiritual rain, in our own thirsty hearts and lives today. And I pray, God, that as we are, our souls are quenched, we would have the faith to believe that you are also going to send a physical rain that will quench this, these fires and quench our land. So, Lord, we turn to you today asking that you would do a good work in us, that we would believe in great things that are to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, guys, last week we began our new series. It was a fun time over at Bicentennial Park. Started it off called Plan B. And we're looking at the book of Ruth to inspire us to keep on going when life doesn't go the way we planned. I don't think any of us have planned or could have planned the events of 2020. See, we saw things in the first five verses of chapter one of the book of Ruth, that things go 2020 on Ruth and her family. I mean, poor, poor Ruth. 
her and her husband leave Bethlehem because there's a severe famine in the land. And we read, though, that they leave hungry and yet absolutely full because this couple has two sons. Their future in the very first part, even in circumstances that are not good, is still very bright. See, remember that in this male-dominated culture, to have sons meant to have future security and stability in this particular world. So Naomi would have driven all of her identity and her value of being a mother of two sons. But then things take an unexpected turn, where Limelech, Naomi's husband, then dies in the land of Moab. So the boys, in this time span shortly after, they marry two Moabite women, and 10 years later, both of Naomi's sons die. And they die childless, sonless. So this is an absolute worst case scenario for Naomi and her daughter-in-laws. To not have a male covering in this particular culture meant that these ladies were marooned in this life. They were incredibly vulnerable and they were absolutely at risk. This was not the way things were supposed to go. This was not the plan. But that's how life goes sometimes, doesn't it? Plan A falls apart, and it's easy to think that our story is over because the hopes and the dreams and the expectations that we had in plan A, when they definitely seem like that door is closed, we, don't, we can't see beyond that moment. We think that the story is over. But this is not where great stories end. Great stories emerge when plan A is no longer an option. And that's exactly where many of us find ourselves these days, isn't it? The door for plan A is shut. There's nothing left but to embrace a plan B with all of its uncertainties. So let's now look now as we see Naomi's plan B begin to unfold. uh, Chapter one, book of Ruth, verses six through seven. When Naomi heard in Moab, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left that place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. All right, did you catch that part in the first part of verse six? The Lord had come to the aid of his people See, this is like the first ray of hope. This is the first turning point for for Naomi. And this is a great, great reminder that tragedy will not last forever. No No matter how tragic the tragedy is, it will come to an end. See, last week I shared that there are three Ps that prevent people from recovering after loss. One is personalization, the belief that we are at fault for the loss we are experiencing. Pervasiveness, the belief that an event will affect all areas of our life, nothing will be untouched by the event. And permanence, the belief that the aftershocks of the event will last forever. See, when we're sitting in the rubble of our lives, when everything around us is falling apart, it's really hard to imagine what life could look like beyond this particular point when we're in so much pain. See, we tend to paint all of our future expectations based on how we're feeling in the moment. So if you're feeling great in the moment, you're going to say, my future is great and wonderful. But when you're feeling pain in the moment, it's hard to say the future can feel wonderful when right now I feel so much pain. But it's essential for our future to remember that all things eventually pass 
even suffering and even sorrow. It will at some point come to an end. See, this verse is the turning point in the story because we see that God is indeed working on behalf of his people. And if God is at work, then there is always hope for our future. See, Psalm 35 really, really um, clearly says this. It says this, for his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. So what this means is that even when we are being disciplined for our own foolishness, it's only temporary. This is how much God loves us. So even if it is something that we did that caused the wreckage in our life, it's only temporary if we cling to God, even if we are in a temporary state of being disciplined. How many of you guys were ever grounded as teenagers growing up? Now, if you had good and decent parents, they didn't ground you just to keep you at home to do chores. They ground you because they loved you. It was a temporary discipline in order to correct a behavior so that you would be, so that the rest of your life and your upbringing would be according to their values and ways. So it was always for your best interest, but it was temporary. See, our lives in Christ are radically defined by favor and rejoicing over discipline and sorrow. So what this means is our sorrows and our loss does not have to define our future. But we must choose to see and believe that God is at work for his people. Now think about that. That means you. If you cling to Jesus, you are his people. If you, if you have given your life to him, then you are his, period. No matter what is going on around you, no matter even how you feel at times, no matter how distant God feels at times, he is always at work for his people coming to the aid of his people, which includes you. Naomi hears this good news that things are, good things are happening in Israel once again. So once again, necessity drives a new plan for Naomi. The thinking goes like this. There's food there. It's dangerous there, but it's more dangerous here. And there is food there. So let's go. And that's what we see, verse eight and nine. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. All right, have you ever taken somebody somewhere and you realize this is a bad idea? A few years back when our kids were really small, Eve and I brought our kids into the Universal Studios House of Horrors it was a horrible idea. They, even the workers are, you're bringing your kids in here? Well, yeah, they'll be fine. 10 feet in, we realized that was a bad idea. That was the most scared we had ever been in our entire lives. See, something happens in Naomi's mind and heart on the way back into Israel. Naomi, who has nothing, realizes that this, this place might not be the best place for her likely barren Moabite daughter-in-laws. She might realize, you know what, maybe Moab is a better place where their parents are, where their family's origin is, rather than back in Israel where they will now become the foreigner, the stranger. 
So ultimately, she figures that they would do best living in their own land among their own people. So what does Naomi do? She blesses them, asking God to show them kindness, the same kind of kindness that she had sh- they had shown her sons and to her. This is a huge theme in the book of Ruth. The word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. And it's not just being nice. This is so much bigger, so much deeper than just being nice to somebody. This word means loving devotion. This is the exact type of love that we had studied for three months in the summer. This is the type of love that can be felt by another for the long haul. See, in an act of hesed, Naomi realizes that that these women, she releases these women because she thinks that it will be in their best interest not to come with her, not her own. So she blesses their future and she prays that God would bless them with rest in the home of a new husband. See, this is very much a sacrificial act of love on the part of Naomi. She does not want to drag these girls down. Now let's continue to read 9b through 13. She kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? But the girls insist, the girls, uh, the girls insist, and Naomi resists and continues to push them away. Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? All right, so what's going on? Because we read it all, there's something strange going on right here. That's that's some weird talk, Naomi. (laughs) What's going on here that Naomi is referring to? It's a Leverite marriage vow. This was a legal safety net in the Mosaic law that that was provided when a man died without having a son. So the law stipulated that if a man died without a son, his blood brother was to marry his his widow. So their sons then would become, their first son would then become the legal son of the deceased brother who would care for their mom and pass along the the dead brother's family line. So... All the ladies right now that are listening to this that are married are picturing their brother-in-laws and they're thanking God that this is not how things work today. At least I'm hoping that you're thinking that. But in this case, now both of the sons are dead. So there's nobody to be able to enact this law. So even if she's saying, even if I could have another son, even if I was to get married tonight and, and, then, and then have another son, it would be years and years until they would be ready to get married. So Naomi's saying, ladies, this road with me, it goes nowhere because Naomi could see no way forward. Ironically, it becomes the Leverett marriage law that becomes part of the unseen plan B that God is unfolding. We'll see this beginning to unfold in the weeks to come. But she can't see any hope. She can't see any future worth living. Now, why is this? The last part of 13 says this. She explains why. No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Did you hear that? The Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi didn't believe that this was just a a really cruddy moment that was eventually going to pass. 
She thoroughly believed that God was now for some reason against her. See, there's deep personalization going on here in the story. But if this were true, Naomi would be absolutely right. If God's hand was against her, life with her would be a dead end. See, how can anybody be blessed when the one who does the blessing has turned against you? But the thing is, this is not true. Naomi's circumstances have created a Job-like moment for her where she plays the role of both Job and Job's accusing friends. In both stories, we're never given an answer as to why things happen the way things happen. See, you can try and blame Job as Job's friends tried to do, and you can try to find a reason to blame Naomi. Maybe like they shouldn't have ever left Bethlehem, or maybe she should never have let her sons marry Moabite girls. But scripture does never assigns blame here. It doesn't say why things happen. It simply just says what happened. See, Naomi does what we do when things begin to fall apart. We make assumptions about God, and then we make assumptions about ourselves based on our assumptions about God. And I wonder how many of you are doing this? How many of us are doing this right now? We've lost something this year, and we are doing what Naomi did. I wonder how many of us are blaming ourselves for something that we had no control in. I wonder how many of us feel like God has turned his hand against us and that he's no longer for us because life circumstances around us are saying that to us right now. See, when our plan A falls apart and there's no obvious why, stop making assumptions that will continue to perpetuate your sorrows. Stop doing that to yourself. Stop feeding yourselves lies about God that affect yourself and your view about you, but rather position yourself to grow from what happened, to experience the love of God in your pain. Because once you start to realize, I didn't cause these things around me. Therefore, God's hand is not against me. Therefore, he's not far from me. Therefore, he is with me right now in the pain. Therefore, I can grow in this because his presence is with me and he will make good on his promise that he will never leave me or forsake me. See, in spite of how she felt about herself, this makes her prayer for her daughters-in-laws all the more profound. Naomi prayed for Orpah and Ruth what she believed she no longer had. She was praying for God's hesed in their life. Naomi felt like God was withholding love from her, and yet she still prayed a selfless prayer for them. What she doesn't know is that God will answer her request to bless her daughter-in-laws. He will show them his hesed. And this selfless prayer will turn out to be the means of Naomi's future blessings. But she has no idea at this point in the story that she is indeed blessing herself in this moment. She has no clue. She thinks she's blessing somebody else, but she's actually going to be blessing herself while she blesses her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now, there's a lesson here for us. We should always resist the draw of our misery-wanting company. It's so easy to want to see others suffering when we're suffering so we feel normal. It's so easy to not pray for blessing for others when we feel like we are, when blessings are being withheld from us. But we are called to bless others and rejoice in, in the blessings of God in others, even when we feel 
like we are deprived of those blessings. It very well could be that through another person's blessings, God will bring to us what we have been longing for. So what do we do? Right now, we rejoice in in others' blessings and desire good for others. And what will happen is the sorrow of the night will not last long because there will always be a reason to rejoice. It's hard to stay, it's hard to say to, to stay in our sorrow when we're actively seeking reasons to rejoice, when we're actively looking for ways to bless other people. It's hard to stay in the darkness of the night when we're ushering in the light through those blessings continually. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. See, this verse shows us something. Shows us that when we walk through our own sufferings, there will be some who will walk with us and there will be others who will go. Now, we surely can't blame Orpah for leaving. She was told to by the matriarch of this trio to go. So she listens and she goes. But what it does highlight, it highlights all the more what Ruth does. Orpah leaves, but Ruth clings. So what do we do here? Stop looking at the people who have left. See, I understand that right now, especially with the way 2020 has shaped up, I understand especially because we've been isolated from one another. There are people who are no longer in our lives now that that, that were in our lives back in January. And it's easy maybe even to feel embittered by that when you say, where are those people? But instead, look at the people who are sticking around you right now, the ones who cling to you, even though you have no idea why they're still here. Who are those people? And that's not rhetorical. Name them. Say them right now. Take a moment to thank God for the people who are still present in your life right now. Not the ones who happen to be around, but absolutely ignore the struggles that you're going through as if nothing has taken place. These people are actually called the non-question-asking friends. They might be there, but they're not there. Sheryl Sandberg in her book said that, the, that of these people, that if your ankle gets shattered, these people will ask to hear the story. But if your life gets shattered, they don't. See, who are the ones who are still there that will walk with you in your suffering? Who don't stay near you but avoid you, if that makes sense, but cling to you? Who are the ones who allow you to break down and to cry and and even to say crazy things in the pain? Who are the ones to ask questions, inviting you to open up with them? Who practice their theology in presence more than in lecturing? See, that was Ruth. Ruth will not let Naomi push her away. Listen to what Ruth says to her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back away from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. We know we realize that Ruth was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. So what does Ruth do? She plays the trump card on Naomi, doesn't she? She doesn't just pledge herself to Naomi. She pledges herself in this moment to God, the God of Israel. 
She does this even though Naomi has not painted a good picture of who God is. She says, this is the God who has turned against me. This is the God who has brought these afflictions upon me. And yet she's pledging herself to him. See, her pledge isn't just until death do us part like you would hear at a wedding. Her pledge here goes beyond death. She says, even when you die, even if there's decades between your death and mine, I will stay where you are because I will be buried where you were buried. So Ruth has made it clear. She says, I know who you are. I know your sorrow. I know you felt forsaken. I know life down this road is not an easy life or even a certain life, but I am with you and where you go, I will go too. After this dramatic speech, I can picture Naomi going, okay, suit yourself. I don't know why, but that's, I picture her voice like having intense smoker voice. <laughs> Indulge me for a moment. <laughs> Verse 19 through 22. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Listen to what Naomi says. Everybody's running to her. Is this Naomi, Naomi, Naomi? And I won't do it in a smoker's voice. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. The women returned to Bethlehem. Remember last week I said the word Bethlehem, it means the house of bread which before they left because the house of bread was empty of bread and yet they were full and now they're returning to the house of bread, which has bread. And yet now she says, I return empty. She describes herself now, not as Naomi, but Mara, which means bitter. See, Naomi is not coming back to Bethlehem in the hopes of starting over. She's not looking forward to a plan B. She's coming back to Bethlehem to finish out plan A, which is just to go there to die. She can't see a plan B for her future. See, bitterness will always cause you to become blinded to the good that is, the good that still is around you, even in the middle of suffering, even in the middle of loss. Bitterness will cause you to not see that because you're only looking at the emptiness and the loss. It doesn't matter if you're surrounded with blessings. Bitterness will cause you to miss them all. Bitterness is what drives this false narrative of our life which causes us to make those false assumptions about God and ourselves. Because of bitterness, we say, surely God's hand must be against me. Surely he must be angry at me if these things are taking place. See, certainly she's lost much in her life and her life has indeed taken an unexpected turn. And we don't mean to say lightly of those things, but she has not returned to Bethlehem empty. She's not, she's not returned to Bethlehem alone. Naomi has returned with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's clinging to her. See, if you have anybody like this in your life, you are still very much blessed. You may not feel it, but if you have even just one person in your life, then you are not empty. 
If you have anyone like this in your life, how can you ever say that God has forsaken you? Even if other people have left in your life, even if plan A has fallen apart and there's not much left, the presence of a Ruth in your life is a clear sign that God is not against you. You're still blessed. And I'd venture to say that every one of us has somebody out there who is still clinging to us, maybe even when we feel like they shouldn't. I venture to say that, that some of us out there have at least one person who deeply loves us. Therefore, our lives are not empty, even when we feel emptied. Even if you miss it, I venture to say they're there. And even if they're not, there is still somebody who clings to you, and we'll get to that at the end of this. See, God had never abandoned Naomi. He who comes to the aid of his people had already begun to come to the aid of Naomi through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She just couldn't see it yet. Her bitterness of the life that was going on around her caused her to miss it, but she soon will. And in the same way, he will never, ever, ever abandon you. He is already at work in the seen and in the unseen, and he is coming to your aid, is what scripture says. It might be in a very much an unlikely place, so you gotta guard your heart from bitterness so that you can see the blessings that are going on around you. Guard your heart from bitterness so you can gain a clear view of reality around you. Remember, take perspective by remembering the three Ps and not embracing those things. See, bitterness of soul will always create a pervasive perspective of our sufferings. That, the, that is the belief that the event will, event will affect every aspect of our life. This is what we're seeing with Naomi right now. That nothing good can come from me. Nothing good can come from, from my life right now. So how do you guard your heart as we wrap up from the bitterness that causes this pervasiveness? Well, remind yourself, as hard as it might be to say, it could be worse. And that's, it's true. It could always be worse. Cheryl Sandberg and her story, it's about a story of her husband who had a heart attack and she became a young widow with young children and she shares her story. And asking her, reminding herself of that statement allowed her to, to pick herself up out of those things. She would say, it could be worse. What if my husband had the heart attack while he was driving my children and I lost my children too? It could be worse. So she was constantly reminding herself of that reality because it allows us to gain perspective again. By saying it could be worse, it allows us to be able to lift our eyes from what was lost to what still is. And that is so, so important for us. And Naomi will find that out, out that as well when she begins to have perspective of God's presence through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. See, most importantly though, Remember, the only thing that cannot be lost is the one thing that Naomi thought she had lost, and that is God's love for you. His word is true. He will never abandon you, even when you are at your most bitter. See, no, he, his word says he will cling to you as Ruth did. He will stay closer to you than Ruth did to Naomi, closer to you than a friend or a brother. Now, how do I know this? How can I make a statement about God clinging to us? Because of Jesus. You see, he entered our world. He entered into our bitterness, even though walking down that road would lead to his own death. He clung to us and said, 
that if you cling to me, you will never be empty in this life. You will always be full, no matter what you lose in this life, because it won't last forever. Because of him, all that is lost in this life will one day be found. When we look to Jesus, we see that God has indeed come to the aid of his people. And in Jesus, you become his people. You become his child. So I'd like to take a moment for us to bow our heads in prayer. I want to pray for the kindness of God to pour into you, for the hesed of our Lord to be experienced. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd love for you to be able to experience that today, to cling to him and discover that he has already been clinging to you. He came into this world when, he, when, when the facts are he shouldn't have. The facts are he should have just left us alone in our bitterness. The facts are he should have said, okay, this is what you choose, life apart from God, fine. This is what you get. And yet the Father still brought us Jesus to be able to fill us up again through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to give us new life again, to be able to live in a plan that is better than the plan that existed before in him. So let's bow our heads wherever we are. And maybe if you're driving right now, you need to pull over and park. If you're at the cafe, just close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you. If you're at home, maybe use your couch as an altar. And pray a prayer to Jesus, the better Ruth. He who has committed himself to us, coveted himself to us. In life, in death, so that we can have life again. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the better Ruth. As good and wonderful Ruth is and was in this story, we see that you are even better. We see that what you have done far outweighs any sacrifice any person in this world could ever give. Because your sacrifice is eternal. You cling to us like Ruth cling to Naomi beyond death. And so, Lord, we cling to you today. In the midst of all the chaos that's around us right now in life, and in the midst of wildfires that are, that are destroying people's livelihoods and homes, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of political tension, in the midst of a divided nation in so many ways, we call to you, O oh Jesus, that you would fill us right now in our suffering, that we would not see ourselves as empty right now, but we would see ourselves as full because no matter what we have lost in this life, we still have you. No matter what we've lost in this life, we can look around and we can still see that we have each other. We still have so many that you have put in our lives, just as you put Ruth into Naomi's life, as the proof that we are never, ever alone. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that somebody out there today would make you Lord and Savior. I pray that somebody out there today would give you a shot and would say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that your words are true 
and hold the keys to eternal life. That whatever has been lost in this life will be found when we cling to you as you have come to cling to us. So Lord, I pray that you would fill them right now. I pray that they would feel their sins washed away. I pray that they would find themselves becoming a new people. People who, whose God comes to their aid because we're children of God. And that can never be taken away. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak deeply to us right now, wherever we are. And Lord, for those of us who have been walking with you for a long time, but it just feel empty, I pray the same blessings into them. I pray that they too would experience the, the hesed love of God, the steadfast love of God, the loving kindness of God. I pray that they would feel your love for the long haul right now, that they would be refreshed in you right now that they would be encouraged right now. They would find hope. Maybe they got up today feeling hopeless. I pray in Jesus' name that because of this part of the story that they would hear these words and they would find hope today that a new story is being written from the tragedies we've been experiencing in 2020. I pray that they would have new perspective and be able to see the people around them that you have sent into their lives that are still there. And I pray, God, that they would, their mourning would turn into rejoicing that the darkness that they've been experiencing would turn to light even when we live in a world where our sun has been blocked out by the smoke. I pray that there would be so much light in their life today because you're with them. So Lord, fill us up, encourage us, remind us that we are yours and you are ours. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. All right, ACC, we have a few more songs. We'll wrap up today with worshiping our Savior.